everybody. Dave Lindbergh in Hong Kong with another episode of THD Podcast. Uh, today, we have a gentleman joining us from Iceland, a company called Treble, uh, specialized in uh, room correction, 3D audio. So helping architects who are, uh, you know, uh, virtually creating the rooms, kind of giving them some instruction on, on how that's going to behave and what things they can do to make it perfect. And also some other applications into uh, VR, into making people be able to, to realize what things will sound like in different room environments in the virtual world. So without delay, um, let's get into it then. So joining us as always, we have Simon Weston in Japan. Good afternoon, Simon. Evening, in fact, but yeah, afternoon. Evening. Yeah, probably right. morning for you, Finna. Absolutely. It's nine o'clock in the morning, morning here. In All right. <laughs> so, uh, Finner Penn, CEO of Treble, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate this. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. It's, uh, it's uh, an honor to be on your, your podcast. I've seen many cool names in the audio industry come on before <laughs> me, so it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, okay, that's, that's, that's flattering. We, we started this as a bit of a hobby, but basically we like to give people a platform to present their technology, um, something you uh, can't really do so easily uh, without trade shows and such. So we right, try to do right. this virtually. So, yeah, um, I always try to take a guess as to what I think your technology is about. So please maybe just walk us into it and tell us, uh, tell us about your company. Right, right. So I prepared a few slides. Uh, I'm thinking maybe I should just go ahead and share the yeah. screen already. Please. Um, yeah, our company is called Treble or Treble Technologies, and we have this tagline in Treble, enabling a better sounding world. We think that summarizes quite well what we're about. That is to say, we're developing software, uh, simulation software, to enable various industries to, to analyze and design sound in a, in a better way than what's been previously possible. So that's kind of the, the big picture overview, you could say. And... So today or through these slides, I kind of divided them into three parts. The first one is just to tell you a bit about my own background and how this whole thing came into being. Uh, it's coming out of research in the academic world and, and so on. And then dive a little into the, the details of the technology and how it works and what are the benefits of it and so on. And then sort of end on a more practical note on, on where this can be used in, in practice uh, and show you a couple of demos and so on. So I hope right. this is okay. And of course, you know, it's not, I hope not meant to be like a very long monologue of me just talking and you listening. So by no. all means, if you have any questions or comments along the way, then just uh, shoot them in. Yeah. Don't worry. Very... It's, it's interactive. <laughs> awesome. Sounds great. Um, and, uh, you know, I should mention that we, we're not an old company. We've been around for a year and a half. So it's early stage for us, but um yeah, so maybe the presentation shows that a little bit, but I hope that's just all right with everyone. Okay. Um, so starting with my own background, uh, my initial interest in sound and acoustics and audio technology comes from, I think, a similar place as many other people in this industry, you know, from music. Uh, and I was in a, in a rock band back in the day, and uh, you know, my dream was to become a, a rock star like uh, so many similar people in similar situation. Uh, but actually I became kind of obsessed with the sort of technical aspect of sound, um, you know, the guitar effects and the guitar amplifiers and the recording software and all of this stuff. And it kind of got to a point where I was just, my main objective in life was just to get my guitar to sound as weird as possible. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was a fun time in, in my life uh, and you know how you know maybe a normal normal guitar solo that might sound something like this uh this is jimmy page from let's Zeppelin here maybe not a normal guitar solo that's a pretty awesome guitar solo from stairway to heaven but uh mm -hmm. anyway for comparison my guitar solos they sounded like this Basically, just a bunch of noise. Not at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was that was a lot of fun. But for some 
strange reason that still remains a mystery to this day. There was not a huge demand in the market for, for these types of guitar solos. <laughs> so uh, I sort of slowly realized that maybe the Rockstar dream was not uh, going to pan out. So I just went all in into the technical aspect of sound and into engineering. I studied electrical engineering first and uh, and was working as a software engineer for some time. And then I went to, to move to Copenhagen. So I'm originally from Iceland, but uh, moved to Denmark um, mm-hmm. to study at DTU, um, acoustical engineering. So in Denmark, there's a very long tradition for, for sound and acoustics and, and acoustic engineering. This photograph is taken maybe 12 years ago during my, my master, pro, uh, master studies years. Okay. So, is, that, uh, uh, is that an echoic chamber? Yeah, a reverberation yeah. chamber, exactly. Right. Um, it's something, uh, it's, sorry to interrupt, that's something that oh. a lot of uh, engineers, they don't normally run into. I think at uh, Premium Sound Solutions in Belgium, I found one, but most places only have anechoic. So right. a big right. echo chamber is something not everybody always sees. That's cool. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's kind of the opposite of the anechoic chamber. Uh, so this is used, for example, you know, as, as what uh, what we're learning there. This is my longtime collaborator and professor at DTU. His name is Chell Ho, and a couple of buddies of mine from from the study years, where where he's teaching us how to measure sound absorption properties of materials. So we have a material sample here on the floor, some some rock wool or some porous material, and and you can use you essentially measure the reverb time in the room with and without the material. And then you can use some pretty simple math to compute the kind of absorption properties of, of this material. Mm-hmm. So that's what's going on in the, in the photo there. Mm-hmm. And I did my master project together with Bang & Olufsen on, on kind of room acoustic simulations. And that's how I started to dip my toes into that field, which is sort of my main uh, field or has been since. And that was quite fun. And I uh, indicated to Chill Ho, who was my, my supervisor, that I would be interested in kind of taking that further, uh, maybe do a PhD on the topic or something to, to continue the development of this exciting field and exciting technology. But there wasn't anything available at the time. So I moved back to Iceland and uh, became an acoustic consultant in the building industry. So I was helping architects design buildings to sound good, uh, basically. This is an example of a fun project. This is a recording studio uh, owned by the Icelandic band Siuros. Uh, oh, yeah. of them. Yeah. So we, uh, I, I designed the acoustics of that space together with them. And we see some kind of bass absorbers here in the ceiling and some kind of cool diffusers on the walls and, and so on. So that was a very fun project. But anyway, while while I was in Iceland and doing acoustic consultancy, then Chill Hall was sort of... Uh, putting out feelers, trying to get uh, some something going on, on to be able to start a research project on this. And he got in contact with an architect firm called Henning Larsen, which is a sort of well-known architect firm, in, especially in the Nordic area. Um, this is an example of a building they have designed. It's called Harpa. It's a concert hall and conference center in Reykjavik, Iceland, where I'm right now. Um, and they were kind of they were constantly running into problems with respect to sound. You know, they would design something that they thought was great, looked great, it had great daylight and all the other things that architects, you know, concerned themselves with. But then it kept occurring again and again that they had designed something. And then in the end of the project, um, or maybe even after the thing was built, they figured out that the acoustics were were all wrong. And that could right. be for... for for a concert hall like we're seeing here, but maybe even more commonly occurring when they, you know, when they design schools, hospitals, residential buildings, etc. So they were kind of very eager to work with DTU, the Technical University in Denmark, to um, to try and develop some technology or some methods that could help the architects incorporate sound uh, as a part of their building design. And um, Chilho called me and said, hey, we have this, this industrial partner. We've got funding. You want to come back and uh, develop some technology? And I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that's how, yeah, this this whole development started. This idea so, of the, uh, you know, developing the uh, room space or buildings uh, to have good sound, what does that actually mean? Does that mean yeah. not too much reverberation, but not none? And 
Yeah, exactly. Kind of striking the right balance of, of having enough sound absorption, uh, depending on the use case. You know, if we're talking about a kindergarten, then your objective is just to dampen the thing as much as possible, right? <laughs> so people don't go uh, kind of crazy in there. But if we're talking about a classroom or an auditorium, then you want to have some kind of support from the room, some amplification essentially, so so that the, your speech kind of reaches the back end of, of, the, of the auditorium or the classroom. And yes, and you know, for, for concert halls, especially classical music concert halls, then you want a lot of reverb because you really want this, the hall to kind of carry the music. Uh, so depends on on the use case exactly and and in terms of this uh, the uh the science background of that do you think that it's uh not extremely well developed is quite a bit of scope to uh, improve simulation tools and things like that yeah yeah i would say the sort of the fundamentals of of you know what is needed to to decide to to make a space sound good is is quite well developed but the whole sort of or, you know, sort of, yeah, but what, what is the desired design goal is, is well known, but um, how to get there is, is less developed, and especially these simulation methods. Uh, they, they have some limitations, and uh, which I'll come back to when I cover the sort of technology more in depth. Mm-hmm. And sort of this whole kind of use towards, for example, architects, you know, because for them, sound is a kind of almost like a black magic thing. It's it's obviously invisible, it's very intangible, and sort of designing for that can be quite tricky. So there's not really good solutions for that to make sound more tangible. And that's really what we're, a part of what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Is, is there okay. kind of a, a simulation between like the console people who kind of, you can, you can design a loudspeaker and, and, and put in all the materials you plan to use in that mm-hmm. speaker? and then kind of predict how it's going to emanate sound. And so this is kind of like almost a converse of that is you're kind of looking to see how all the sound will reverb and such in a 3D structure. Absolutely. It's very related. Um, Comsol is a very powerful uh, software uh, that has kind of a very broad range of features to simulate different types of physics. You know, we have like in a loudspeaker, you have the coupling between the magnetic system and the mechanics and the acoustics and so on. But sort of a challenge with Comsol is that you cannot really go to these kind of big um, mm-hmm. cases, you know, uh, we have a full room because that's a much bigger domain than a loudspeaker, for example. So, right. so that's something that we, we try to address. Um, okay. Seems like, yeah, keep going. It, it's, but yeah. I think the pro- the problem about, uh, the problem about building a structure, it's no different from somebody giving you an industrial design for a Bluetooth speaker and said, make it sound good. It's always this, this afterthought of acoustics, which is something that I think everybody talking today would wish people would pay attention at the beginning. Right, right. Absolutely. And, you know, hopefully by making it a bit more tangible, uh, allowing people to hear the simulation and so on, which I'll come back to, that will kind of you know, motivate people and to, to think about acoustics and then they start understanding the impact of, you know, having good sound and so on. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. One thing I wanted to mention here was, uh, so during my master project, I, we had good, we had good success. It went well and so on, but I also kind of learned during that time that, this simulation stuff, you know, these computational methods, solving differential equations that describe sound using using numerical methods. It's it's complicated stuff, <laughs> and uh, we knew a lot about the acoustics and so on, but uh, felt that we were a bit sort of what do you say, like shorthanded on on uh, on on the numerical aspects. So so when we started the PhD project, I thought to myself, there's got to be someone. DTU, this huge technical university that that knows uh, numerical methods and scientific computing and so on. And I essentially just Googled uh, and uh, found this guy here in the uh, upper left corner. His name is Alan Engsekarup, and he has 
been working for 20 years on, on developing numerical methods to, to simulate wave problems, not actually acoustic problems, but for example, what we see here is like water wave problems, mm -hmm. de developing advanced methods for this. And then he, he wa wanted to come on board. And then he also connected us with another guy. This name is, his name is Jan Hesteven. He's a professor at EPFL in Switzerland, who also has been doing wave problems for many, many years. Uh, Again, not so much acoustics, but for example, electromagnetic waves, like what we see here. So now we have this kind of pretty powerful team of sort of interdisciplinary team of acoustics experts and architects and, and these guys on, on the numerics. And kind of that's the team that came together and started developing this technology uh, that in the end, uh, well, uh, yeah, I would like to argue that we were quite successful. We ended up with something that's pretty powerful and I'll go into the details of that in a couple of slides. Uh, so that's kind of how it how it started. Um, after the PhD, where we had sort of the academic proof of concept of 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 the technology, uh, we found a treble, me and uh, my pal Jesper, uh, who was actually in that photograph earlier from from the reoperation chamber. So we had studied back at DTU 10, 12 years ago. He had then gone into the hearing aid industry and became a simulation specialist there, was simulating and designing hearing aids for eight years or something. So I kind of reached out to him and was like, hey, you know a lot about simulation, acoustic simulations. I know a lot about acoustic simulations and have this kind of draft of a new technology. Should we maybe, you know, do something with it? And he was willing to do that. So we started Trouble one and a half year ago, something like that. Uh, and uh, what Treble is, is we're calling it a platform. Uh, so it's a sound simulation and sound rendering platform. And when I say platform, I mean it's kind of consists of different modules that are tailored towards different industries, one maybe towards building industry, one towards automotive, one towards audio technology, any, but these kind of different use cases where we want to simulate and render sound and predict how things sound. Right, and yeah, yeah, I have a couple of slides here to elaborate a bit further. So when I say sound simulation, I think we kind of already covered this, but it's, uh, you know, using these computing techniques to predict how things sound and then um, optimizing and designing on that further. And the rendering part is then to be able to, it's kind of built upon the simulation to be able to experience the simulation and ideally, you know, interact with it on the fly, maybe walk around the space and, and so on. And I'll show you a demo of this later. Treble was founded in a, in a windowless basement at the University of Iceland. Uh, we were kind of me and Jesper here originally, and then Gunnar and Inkima came on board very quickly after, um, got a grant to get started and so on. But uh, things started picking up quite rapidly. We got good investors to join us and sense a lot of interest uh, from different industries in, in our tech. So we've grown quite a bit since this one and a half year. Uh, this photo is actually already outdated. We have five more people since then. So things are going well, but uh, we have not officially released a product yet, but we have started lots of different sort of partnerships with different companies and different industries. Um, uh, and um, yeah, are sort of starting to approach officially releasing here. So that's kind of the story that uh, of how we got started and where we are today. Okay. Now I think I will just dive into the technology itself. I said I'm a bit closer for this bit. <laughs> <laughs> so when we do acoustic simulations, and you know that could be acoustics of a building, but also just like you described an acoustic uh, the, the simulation of, of, of a loudspeaker. What what we do is we we start with some input data, some geometry model of, of the three D model of the geometry in question or it can be a 2D model too in some cases. Um, some description of the acoustic properties of the boundaries of, of, of this model and some way we excite the model. In a loudspeaker case, that might be some electromagnetic uh, force or in a, in a room simulation, then we typically have some sort of model of, of the sound source, so whether that's a human voice or human speaker or loudspeaker or maybe just an omnidirectional uh, sound source. 
we then feed this information to a simulation algorithm that computes how sound propagates uh, in the domain in question, how it bounces off the walls or, or whatever, and reaches some, some listener position. And then the output of the simulation can be in different forms. It can be in the form of graphs and numbers, which can be important for all kinds of analysis work. Mm-hmm. We can also visualize sound, which can be useful in, in certain cases. Maybe we want to spot some echo patterns, for example, or, or investigate coverage or, or things like that. And then last but not least, is this kind of rendering idea of being able to, to listen to, to it. We did work quite a lot of work here on the simulation part itself, developing a new approach here and also on this kind of rendering stuff. So that uh, the graphic, the moving image on site is kind of showing a uh, time progression of a wave. Is that actually normally what you're doing or is it more looking at a steady state type of behavior? Yeah, no, we do this kind of time progression. We do both, I would say. But yeah. Uh, yeah, time progression of, of, of looking at how sound propagates through the space and also then some kind of more steady state parameters that describe the time average scenario. And um, how, uh, so, uh, so I do uh, headphones and pretty much the entirety of it is considering things in a steady state form, so it's like a frequency response, uh, frequency domain type of a thing. Um, how important is that, uh, I'll call it time domain, but you might have another phrase for it, that that type of uh, time series or progression of time information. Mm-hmm. That can be quite important. You know, in room acoustics, many kind of acoustic parameters or acoustic descriptors of, of, of the quality of acoustics are sort of time-based, you know, comparing, for example, early versus late uh, reflections or these types of things. And then also, especially for when it comes to the listening part, then we want to kind of convolve uh, you know, ultimately, that's a time domain signal that we hear. We convolve a, t- a time domain impulse response with with uh, some audio source signal, and then we can hear that source signal in the space. Mm. So we primarily simulate in the time domain, and then if we want to look at the frequency response, then we, you know, use a Fourier transform to 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 look at that. But it's the um, easy part, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, but frequency domain approaches are certainly valuable too and, you know, can be used as well. Yeah. All right. Um, so when it comes to the simulation approaches or the simulation algorithms themselves, there have been a bunch of different methods proposed throughout the years. Um, but they are typically divided into one of these two categories. On the right here, we have what's typically called geometrical acoustics. And on the left, we have what's often called the wave-based acoustics. And in geometrical acoustics, we employ quite a lot of approximations. Um, We don't really solve sort of the differential equations involved using numerical methods, but we we approximate that the sound wave behaves like a ray that sort of bounces around the room. It's often called ray tracing, uh, following essentially the laws of optics. And what's attractive here is that this is a computationally light process. So back in the day, you know, if you were simulating any kind of big domain, then this was absolutely necessary. You could never do this with, with computers of 20 years ago. Uh, but the drawback with geometrical acoustics is that sound does not behave like a ray. It behaves like a wave. Uh, so the accuracy can be low, uh, especially when we have wave phenomena such as diffraction and interference and phase and scattering and these types of things, which sort of tends to happen a bit more in the lower portion of the frequency spectrum, but still can happen across the board. That's one approach. Uh, and then the other approach is, which kind of has the opposite pros and cons, uh, we solve the differential equations using numerical methods. So in principle, these should be very accurate methods. But the drawback is that the, uh, the computational costs can be quite heavy. Mm. So w- what we set out to do was to improve wave-based methods, try to accelerate them and improve their accuracy so we can actually use them in practice. Um, when you say this uh, computational costs are heavy, Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, you instinctively feel who really cares because you don't have to do it by hand the computer does it but it's, <laughs> it's, it's not as simple as that 
Is it no, good to I mean, becomes it's at a level of it's just not possible? Yeah, kind of. I mean, imagine you're designing a space and you have to wait three weeks for a simulation result. And you know, you do multiple iterations of your design. You try this thing and then no, nah, it doesn't really work. I want to move the absorbers over here. No, it doesn't really work. Okay, what if we change the shape of the space? This kind of thing. And then you have to wait three weeks between each iteration. It just becomes very impractical, you know. Yep. So, yep. so that's the, the reason. Hmm. But, but the sort of wave-based approach or the finite element, uh, finite difference approach, you know, has been viable in practice in industrial applications for smaller devices like loudspeakers or hearing aids or things like that. But anytime you come to a, to a bigger space or bigger domain, then it becomes impractical as I, as I described before. Mm. Um, but this is what we wanted to address. Can we, you know, take these methods out of the academic world? They've been in the academic world since the nineties, essentially, but can we, you know, put them to a place where they're actually useful in practice, bring the computation times down to something that, that is practical. And um, what we did was together with these, these mathematicians I mentioned earlier, you know, they, they, they've been solving wave problems for 20, 30 years and they, they kind of, we asked them, you know, what's the best numerical method that we could use for this acoustic problem that we have uh, to accelerate it? And they came back to us and proposed this method that has this very simple short name, this continuous caloric and finite element method, um, but uh, often called DG or DGFEM, which is a kind of state-of-the-art numerical method uh, that has these attractive features here that make it very well suited for, for acoustic simulations. And this is really the core of, of, of our technology is, is this numerical method. Um, so it's very flexible in terms of geometry. We can simulate complex shapes and so on. And then this thing, high order accuracy, it basically means efficient simulations. And then last but not least, this thing here, which is that it's very well suited for parallel computing. And that means that we can use the sort of this awesome modern computing hardware that's that's been coming out for, for, for the last 10 years or so, which is these massively parallel computing yeah, cards or, or, or architectures uh, to really accelerate the simulations. Hmm. Um, and the reason why it's so suited for parallel computing is, well, for traditional finite element methods uh, as most of console's functionality, for example, is, is based on, is then you have a mesh. So you discretize your loudspeaker or your room into kind of small elements. And each element on the mesh is kind of connected to every other element on the mesh. So the solution in one spot point depends on the solution in all points. Whereas in DG, I tried to illustrate it here with these, these figures, then um, each element on the mesh is sort of independent of each other. So you can solve them all in parallel uh, for every kind of time step. And that's what makes it so powerful. So basically you're, you're breaking up the tasks and allowing multiple processes, processors to calculate that all in parallel. That's exactly. All right. That's exactly it. Um, and you know you have we have this 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 computing hardware now these GPUs graphics processing mm -hmm. units that have you know thousands and thousands of cores uh, and then you can string together many GPUs as well so you can really when using the power of the cloud on these computing architectures you can you can accelerate a lot. Yeah, you just need to compete with the gamers and the Bitcoin miners to get those <laughs> GPUs lately. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, all this uh, chip shortage and all that, we're actually feeling that, you know. Uh, uh, so that's, uh, okay. yeah. Okay, so some examples here of a couple, just to make this a bit more tangible, the numbers we're talking about, you know, if we go from a CPU to a GPU using DG, then we can... Uh, you know, speed up something like three, three orders of magnitude. Um, and then these kind of very big spaces covering a large portion of the frequency spectrum, uh, we can simulate them in, you know, practical runtimes. It's still measured in, in, in several minutes, uh, but uh, this is definitely kind of usable in practice. Mm. Um, so it's this combination of an advanced numerical method and advanced computing hardware that uh, is really the core 
of, of Treble's technology. And it is, you know, this is, for example, a recent study that some students did at DTU where they're finding that um, it's something like 100 to 300 times faster than traditional simulation software uh, for, for acoustic problems. And that is, you know, that, that might sound like, okay, that's, that's nice, but it is, it is actually <laughs> very nice because uh, it really allow, opens up like a whole new host of, of applications, things that you couldn't really do before that you can do now. It's not that you can just do them a bit faster than before, but uh, so that's, that's quite exciting. And I'll show some examples of, of that uh, yep. towards the end. Okay, so I will move on. Uh, another thing, is, uh, just to mention, another thing that we actually put a lot of effort into uh, is, is material modeling or sort of modeling the acoustics, the, the interaction between the sound wave and, and, the, and the surfaces in, in a room. Uh, that's because these surfaces, these absorbing conditions and so on, they have a huge influence on, on the acoustics of, of spaces. And it's actually can be in certain, for at least for certain materials, quite complex physics that, uh, that sort of interact uh, when, when a sound wave hits, hits a surface. Uh, so we did a lot of effort into, into this as well and came up with some pretty advanced techniques here as well. And I have uh, an example of a, an experimental validation of that as well. Okay. And then the last part is this whole rendering idea. So one thing is to be able to do the simulation and get out, you know, the acoustic parameters or the frequency response or, or things like that, which certainly is valuable. But if we want to, for example, enable architects to understand the impact of different design options or, or clients even, then, um, you know, showing them a frequency response or, or, or showing some acoustic parameters maybe doesn't really do the trick because they don't have a good feeling for what, what that means. So we developed this system that, uh, where we sort of use the high fidelity simulations in a kind of pre-computation stage, where we simulate the acoustics of a, of a space. Here's an open plan office, as an example, kind of in a grid across the space. So we've kind of pre-computed the acoustics all over here. And then during runtime, when people put on the VR headset, they can walk around the space and what they're hearing then is kind of the nearest uh, points uh, being played back. And we have some pretty advanced uh, signal processing stuff that kind of interpolates between the nearest points and decodes. We have embed spatial information into, into each response as well, so that, you know, when you turn your head and so on, then the sound source is always kind of coming from the right direction and so on. Mm -hmm. And that this way we can kind of couple the visual model and, and the acoustic model, walk around with it. We can interact, you know, flip between different design options on the fly and, and so on. That part of it strikes me as being vastly more complicated than uh, a one-time simulation. Right. I think that's fair to say, yeah. <laughs> so you, uh, you were uh, doing it in the sense where... Uh, you uh, inputting some signal as a sound, so someone's talking, and then uh, running it through this uh, algorithm, this real-time mm -hmm. audio processor, and get the uh, depend on your position and, and movement, you get a different output signal. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and you know, in some cases, it might be sufficient that you can just you know that you just get the result in one point in space, uh, and you could, uh, but uh, in others. It can be nice to walk around and, uh, you know, especially if we start moving towards applications like video games and all kinds of VR applications, which are maybe not building design, um, then but where you want to have this kind of authentic, properly simulated acoustics as a part of the experience, then, then this becomes quite necessary. Yeah, I, I think wonder, uh, so uh, if you think about uh, image, uh, rendering images, so... Uh, if you're rendering one static image and uh, that can take quite a long time, even on a computer mm. these days, you want to get high resolution, something you can get something very realistic. Uh, but then if you want to have it uh, rendered as a video, you can do that frame by frame kind of thing. But if you want to have that real time, it starts to degrade pretty rapidly. Uh, but mm -hmm. visually it seems kind of a bit more forgiving. If you're listening to something audio wise, 
that degradation from like a single shot rendering to something that's real time. How does that uh, turn out? I guess I'm wondering. Right, right. There, there is definitely some degradation of, of, of the quality here uh, when you go to real time. Um, so what, what we, this is actually, I mean, another approach to this whole problem is that you don't pre-compute the acoustics, but you actually also simulate the acoustics on the fly. So you do everything in real time. And there's tools that, that do this. And that those tools are very, very approximate because, yep. yeah. Too but, much data. Yeah, exactly. So what we've tried to sort of find the middle ground here by, by doing the acoustic simulation itself off in an offline stage beforehand, mm-hmm. uh, which is then allowed to take some time, and then just the real-time processing of kind of interpolating between the nearest uh, simulated points uh, on the fly. Mm-hmm. And this works pretty well, I would say. We have, we've done some listening tests on this, and you know people are able to... Per- point, for example, where sound is coming from in space uh, very accurately and so on. But a limitation of this is that you cannot really do moving sound sources. So you can remove the listener, uh, but if you want right. to have a moving sound source as well, as well, then the amount of data just kind of explodes. Uh, so that's something that we are working on right now to try and develop some approximate methods so that we can actually have the moving sound sources as well. Uh, Okay, um, let me show you a couple of examples uh, of some experimental validation uh, to see how well this stuff works and maybe give some sort of hint into the fidelity differences that we're talking about here. So uh, the first case is actually the one that we're seeing right here. This is um, a measurement scenario where we have a sound source emitting a wave and there's a direct sound that reaches the microphone and then there is a reflection off of this sort of fairly complex geometric fee- shape, uh, kind of a diffuser, you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty academic setup, you know, or sort of a controlled scenario, but still uh, can tell us quite a lot about how well, you know, we can model complex geometry and sound propagation and interaction between geometry and then the wave and so on. And this measurement is from... Uh, a database called Ground Truth for Room Acoustic Simulations. Uh, it was uh, it's coming from some university in Germany. I forget which one, but um, those guys who made made the the measurements. If you focus your first on the right here, so they they when they made the measurement, they wrote a paper where they reported the measurement database, and then they also took a bunch of industry standard room acoustic simulation tools which are all based on this geometrical acoustics paradigm because that's the only what's really only available today is tools based on geometrical acoustics. And they tried to simulate these different cases, for example, this case that we just saw. And what you see here, you see the frequency response between the source and the receiver. So, you know, we have the measurement curve here in black. There's that all of these geometrical acoustics tools, they are not at all able to, to capture the frequency response here. And that is because they don't take into account the wave nature of sound, you know, diffraction and interference and, and these things, which is very strongly happening when, when you have this kind of complex geometry. I think the guy in red dashed red line, he's already pretty happy that he's getting the, uh, the uh, peaks and dips. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The same number of them. <laughs> Frequencies a bit exactly. off. Never mind. Exactly. <laughs> some are better than others. Absolutely. And, you know, and there are some, you know, there's... A, a ton of research done in sort of trying to improve geometrical acoustics methods to, to account for wave phenomena in, in some kind of approximate way. Yeah. And, and, you know, those are, those can be quite powerful tools. Don't, don't get me wrong, but, uh, but still, you know, not perfectly hitting, hitting the, the, the response. But what we see here on the left is if we do a wave-based simulation, then we can capture this quite well. This is another example that we did uh, where we simulated like a full room. So an impulse response of a room, it's a relatively simple room, but still we have this, this uh, porous material here uh, covering one surface uh, and tried some different material properties. Uh, and you can see the kind of match between frequency response uh, and in, in measurements. This is just showing the low frequency frequency response here, because if we go to higher frequencies, then 
different frequency response become kind of very noisy because you have more and more eigenfrequencies as you go up in frequency. So it becomes a bit hard to see whether there actually is a match or not, but it's kind of evident here in the low frequency range at least. Is it uh, sort of understood where the uh, discrepancies come from? I mean, uh, let's say uh, it's getting, this is frequency on the XXC, it's getting higher in frequency. I guess there's some kind of spikes that don't really appear. Is this, do you think, uh, yeah, is it understood where those discrepancies come from? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would say so. It's, it's, a, it's a limitation of the input data that we have. Yeah. So both, both the geometry, even though this is a simple geometry, I mean, it's just a box-shaped room, but, you know, it's not absolutely a perfect box. There's some tolerances in how straight those walls are and, and, and so on. So that, that can already start to have a small impact. And then I would say the biggest limitation is the material input data. So um, okay. that, that um, you know, the, like I said earlier, it can be quite complex physics that, you know, describe the interaction between between a sound wave and a, and a material. Uh, and the data that we have today is it's not quite good enough. I mean, it's 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 getting better and then there exist some models and so on, uh, but this is a limitation. Uh, yeah. So uh, the, uh, is it a tetrahedron or a dodecahedron uh, speaker? Is that modeled as a point source, but in fact, it's not really? That's also a good point. Yeah, that's another source of limitations. We model that as a perfectly uh, radiating, you know, omnidirectionally radiating point source, but in reality, obviously, it's not. Maybe at the lower frequency range, it's you know, yeah. Yeah. somewhat close to that, but but still, it's not. So that's already yeah. a pretty incredible uh, agreement of measured and simulation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's exciting. And then the last experimental validation is uh, actually more kind of com covering this uh, material stuff so we for example developed a method to model suspended porous materials that might sound like a very niche case but it is actually very common these kind of you know your typical acoustic ceiling which is a kind of yeah. a suspended uh, porous material and then you have the ducts and everything above the, the ceiling and that that is actually very complex physics that occur there because then you have this air gap and you have the panel kind of vibrating and, and so on so so we developed a method to model this very precise or quite precisely, let's say. And we did some experimental validation of this where we have a sound source here emitting a wave and, and hitting the surface and being reflected back and at different incidence angles. So um, for a normal incidence angle when it just comes straight in and straight out, uh, then actually sort of existing methods and existing models are quite good. But as soon as you come to some uh, higher incidence angle, then those methods break down. And um, that's because the sort of absorption behavior of this type of surface is actually very angularly dependent, you know. So depending on where the sound wave is coming from, then you get very different absorption characteristics. And this is, uh, as of today, not taken into account at all in room acoustic modeling. Mm. So here you can see some transfer functions, again, for different kind of incidence angles. And you see for the low in, low incidence and close to normal incidence, the sort of this is what's called local reaction, which is sort of the old traditional way of modeling this behavior. They match up pretty well with the measurement and with our what's called equivalent fluid model, which is the more advanced method. But mm -hmm. when we come to higher incidence angles, then we start to see that the local reaction one doesn't really capture the curve so well. And the equivalent fluid model it's at least closer, you know, there's room for improvement. Sure. There's uncertainties in the measurements and also, and so on, but uh, it's a step in the right direction, let's say. Yeah. Capturing the broader characteristic. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. We made it through the, the, the deep end of the pool, the, the deep uh, dive of the tech. <laughs> and I hope you're still with me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, excellent. So I'm, um, going to show you now some examples of, of, of how this can be used in practice. I've, I've of course, hinted a bit at, at some of the things already, but um, the obvious one being the building industry, that uh, this is what we're targeting first, uh, developing a, a simulation product for architects and engineers in that industry to be able to simulate the acoustics of sort of indoor uh, spaces. Mm -hmm. um, but a natural next step is to start looking at outdoor sound. Uh, and uh, 
and sort of again kind of relating to building design and, and, and urban planning and things like that so it's kind of similar industry but uh, somewhat different use case and I just add, sorry uh, uh, just uh, the previous slide in terms of let's say the concert hall or indoor spaces a uh, somebody from the building industry they would engage you guys to construct the model and produce the simulated result or no. you just sell them the software and they do it by themselves yeah, it's more that exactly. We develop the software, and then acoustic engineers in the building industry and architects uh, should be able to use them by themselves. Okay. Interesting. Uh, so there's quite a lot. Then I mean, I haven't really talked too much about that, but there's quite a lot in terms of a user interface of how to get uh, a model into the simulation. That's not trivial as well, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and that's something that we're very much emphasizing is to try and make that process as seamless as possible because, you know, it can take a lot of time to to clean up the geometry so it's suited for simulation and, and put in all the material properties and all these things. So we're trying to, to make that as seamless as possible because the building models actually all have that information in them. It's just about kind of packaging it in the right, right. way uh, so mm. it can be used. In what kind of form are they? Are you talking about uh, when the building models have it? Do they have three D models, three yeah, D models of the entire building? You can so you, you're trying aiming to try and just import that data. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is often called building information modeling (BIM) models, mm -hmm. where you have obviously the geometry, but then you have a bunch of metadata uh, that goes along with it, material properties and things like that. Uh, and then we try and sort of extract all of that into a simulation model as automatically as, as possible. Interesting. Mm -hmm. When it comes to yeah, exactly. When it comes to environmental noise, uh, there are again some kind of geometrical acoustics based tools available, and they're you know they're okay for 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 their purpose. But uh, for example, if we want to you know, design the shape of a building so that it kind of shields away noise uh, so you can have like a quiet courtyard or something like that and kind of diffraction of sound waves become, becomes a very important aspect that you cannot really take into account with geometrical acoustics. Or if you're designing a noise barrier uh, alongside a highway, then again, kind of how diff sound diffracts around bends around the, the uh, barrier becomes a, an important issue. Mm. So this is an exciting application and, it, you know, it's somewhat similar to the indoor case, except, you know, indoors, we have a very steady medium air, uh, but outdoors mm -hmm. we have weather that can have uh, an impact. So it makes the physics a bit more complicated. Right. So is that like yeah. the, the humidity and wind changes could heavily How like what kind of impact would that have on like yeah, car noise? It, it, is it massive or? It, it depends a little bit on what sort of distances and sizes of domains we're talking about. If you're talking about 100 meters or, or less, then maybe it can almost be acceptable to just neglect those factors and just kind of assume that it's a calm, mm -hmm. medium average day. But as soon as you're talking about maybe, you know, yeah, measured in the hundreds of meters or, or beyond that, then then it has a huge impact just okay. like easily 20, 30 decibels of, of, of level can change, you know, depending right. on when, wind and temperature gradients and things like that. Okay. Interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, another use case, which I think is very interesting is um, has to do with kind of audio signal processing uh techniques like speech recognition and cancellation and so on in these kind of smart audio devices like uh, meeting room equipment and, and, you know, all kinds of software where you want to ultimately, you know, capture an audio signal or remove the uh, background noise and the echoes and so on, but capture the, the desired signal, typically speech. And, you know, these signal processing algorithms, I'm not an expert in those, by the way, but, you know, I'm, I'm aware that they are based on oftentimes on machine learning methods where they train a neural network to, to distinguish between the desired signal and the sort of, and the background noise from coming from, from, from a room. And the way that the companies work with uh, developing this is this kind of that they, as of now, they either use measurements to train the, uh, train the, uh, 
the machine learning networks or sort of very crude simulations. And this means that the performance is not as good as it can be. But with our technology, we can actually use or generate very high quality training data and, and a very big amount of it, which is not really possible with measurements. So we can hopefully improve the performance of these uh, signal processing techniques. Uh, yeah, that's 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 a a large market. I mean, there's lots of companies doing like SoundHound and and I can't remember them all, but they're doing they're doing this this training stuff to train the neural networks mm -hmm. um, with mm -hmm. with voices. So mm -hmm. um, so what you're saying is you could train the network for detecting reflections and different things in the room. Exactly. Um, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And it's a very exciting field, and we've already started working with a few big names, I can't say who right now, but big mm -hmm. names in, in this kind of um, yeah, this space. On, uh, we we can guess. Excited. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, you know, this kind of also this blind room acoustic modeling, which is kind of this inverse problem where you have some, like, you know, a speaker might be able to measure a few discrete points uh, of, of, yeah, measure a space in a few discrete points, and then it tries to reconstruct what the room is, and then you can take that information into account and, and you know, adjust its settings and so on. But this is a, a kind of an analogous uh, use case uh, where we could use lots of high-quality training data to, to improve the performance of this. Yeah. That's very exciting. Um, then the world of personalized audio uh, is another very exciting field. And I know there are, there's quite a lot of companies uh, working in this. Um, but we, we can contribute here uh, by being able to simulate HRTFs. So um, in a very both accurate way and, and a fast way. So... Uh, we're, for example, working with a with a big hearing aid company, uh, where the objective is that you know once once you buy a hearing aid and you go to the fitting process in, at the clinic, then the then the audiologist would would scan your your head geometry, and then that geometry can be fed to the cloud to to the treble cloud, and we can in in, in a few seconds uh, simulate precisely uh, how how sound reaches your eardrums and and, and get an HRTF, and and get that then back to you. So I think this is very exciting. And it's maybe I know there are a couple of companies that are kind of doing similar things, but more kind of machine learning based um, to, to, to actually generate the, the, the HRTS. But this is very kind of physics based. Uh, so there's no, it's, it's very accurate, I would say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Automotive industry is another exciting example. Um, where, you know, and especially as cars become kind of come, coming closer towards being self-driving and so on, and the whole sort of entertainment aspect of, of cars and sound becomes a, a big selling point. Uh, so we can simulate car cabin acoustics very well and, and, and sort of the interplay between the sound system and the, and the cabin. And, and then hopefully down the road, we would like to incorporate um, vibroacoustics as well. So you can take the whole noise uh, aspect uh, as well into account. So um, I, I'm just curious in terms of the uh, outputs from a simulation. So let's say you uh, taking the car cabin example, you set it up uh, with the cabin and speakers and you would, uh, an output would be like the frequency response at each person's seated position. Exactly. Yeah. Or you could oralize it. So you could simply, you know, hear how it sounds to sit yeah. in the driver's seat, you know? Yeah. Then Very you could cool. tailor tailor the audio system, uh, you know, to EQ against uh, the frequency response, for example, things like yeah. that. Okay, and you know, there are, people are already doing simulating cars to some extent, but what's attractive here is that we <laughs> we can do it a hundred times faster. So that's uh, yeah, that's exciting. Okay. That makes quite a big difference, doesn't it? The speed, because if you are doing something in an iterative fashion, let's say you're trying to find mm -hmm. what's the right, I can put the speaker somewhere around here in the door. And mm -hmm. uh, if you can uh, simulate very quickly until you zero in on the nice position. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then I think, yeah, this is one of the last examples, uh, you know, large scale sound systems. Um, there exist pretty good tools to, to simulate, you know, how a sound system will radiate sound, but the sort of interaction between that 
sound system and the room, it's, it's harder to predict that uh, now. And, you know, especially in the low frequency range where people are trying to set up these kind of radiation patterns where you, you know, send the sound just to the audience area and not, not anywhere else. Uh, that's quite difficult to do uh, today. But with our technology, we can, we can go to these, you know, actually handle these large cases and, and simulate the interaction between the two. So that's, that's quite exciting. Hmm. Uh, and the last one here is, is something that we've just sort of starting, started to dip our toes into, but that is kind of this idea of, of being able to accurately render, you know, video game environments and, and have them have as authentic sound as possible mm -hmm. or, or acoustics incorporated. And yeah, that one is, uh, uh, it's, it's strikes me as being a slightly different direction. I mean, the real-time rendering of video games, but there's some elements of what you're doing that are applicable. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, and, you know, all, all those other cases I mentioned before I mentioned the video games, then it's very much about kind of precision and, and you know, replicating reality and, and predicting reality and then optimizing that. Whereas in, in video games, you know, there, then there's this kind of level of artistic freedom that you want to incorporate as well. So, of course, you want it to sound as realistic as possible, but also have creative freedom. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a different ballgame for sure. But we're just sort of starting to see whether it makes sense for us to to, to look into that as well. Okay. Okay, so let me end this with a couple of demos of this sound rendering stuff for kind of building design applications. So this uh, this space here, this is a new city hall in, in Uppsala in Sweden, where uh, we did this together with Henning Larsen Architects, who I did my PhD with. Uh, and um, this space is tricky from a sound perspective. It's very big. Uh, it has glass all around, glass ceiling, uh, hard floor. It's open to the public so people can walk through here. Uh, there's a cafe here and so on. So when we were designing this, uh, they were kind of, well, when they were designing this, they were struggling a bit with the acoustics, both just where to get sound absorption into the space, but also to kind of understand how far do we actually have to go for it to be comfortable. So we constructed a virtual mock-up together with them uh, of this space, and I will show you a video from it. Um, and in the video, you can see the user walking around the space, and she can interact with the design on the fly. She can change how many sound sources are present in the room, what we call occupancy, the level of occupancy. Uh, she can turn the acoustic treatment on or off. So when we were actually, or they were actually designing the space, then they tried many different design options. But in the video, we just show kind of with and without acoustic treatment. And then she can clap uh, to hear the, essentially the impulse response of the room. And then she walks into the auditorium where she's selecting different surfaces and kind of flipping between some, some predefined materials. So let's give it a shot. I hope it gives some insights into what this might look like. made up of words that come to me spontaneously, words that speak the honest truth. Expect from me nothing else, because I do not believe, fellow Athenians, that I should be appearing before you at my age, behaving like a child, 
trying to construct over-adorned speeches. This is the only thing. And then towards the end, she was testing the sound isolation uh, mm. between the two spaces. Mm. All right, so. Yeah, that was oh. an example. <laughs> and that's, being, uh, that's all being done real time. This is not a... No, yeah, exactly. So we pre-computed the, the impulse responses kind of across the space, and then the whole kind of processing, uh, everything else was done in real time. Yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. Cool. So one example of the sort of outcome of this work was that we ended up, or they ended up, I keep saying we, they ended up... Uh, designing these uh, wooden frames uh, that were incorporated into every kind of glass element, window element of the facade. And they have the kind of dual function of both looking very good, but also being acoustic absorbers. Uh, so right, right. Out, of, out of the treatment there. And then we also covered this kind of interior building here, this facade of that with, with some absorption as well. So it was a very nice example of, of, in my opinion, of what can happen when, you know, the architects actually get a feeling for the importance of the acoustics and the client as well and so on. So that was a very nice outcome. Is, yeah. there, a, is there a bit of a battle between the creative of the designers and when you start saying, uh, can we change the material a bit? Uh, it's always of course. A, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, but, you know, at least, you know, I, because I was working for a few years as an acoustic consultant uh, before I did this whole whole simulation stuff. And then I was, you know, fighting architects uh, with where, where my where my weapons were graphs and numbers. And mm -hmm. that was not not very effective. I can right. I can vouch for that. So this was a completely new kind of changed the conversation a bit, uh, or quite a lot actually. Yeah. When they could actually hear it. Yeah, I think because then it then it could they get that kind of gut feeling, oh my 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 building's gonna feel like cold and echoey and not comfortable. Mm. It might look mm. beautiful, but it won't feel comfortable. So yeah, yeah it's, it's an amazing tool. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and then one more example, uh, more sort of smaller space, an open plan office. This is a bit of an older demo, uh, so that you see the kind of user interface is a bit different, but. It's a similar idea. You can see the user walking around and then he's kind of flipping on and off various aspects of the acoustic treatment, you know, putting absorption in the ceiling or not, putting in these kind of partitions or acoustic furnishing and, and things like that. Let's, let's give it a spin. It's everything off, is it? Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah. there, there, you, there you could hear um, both the acoustic ceiling played a pretty big role and then the dividers especially, you know, they, they helped a lot to sort of reduce the sound spreading from 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 across the uh, across the office essentially i suppose that'd be uh, kind of the first time anybody has ever heard that kind of a b testing of with and without uh, acoustic materials mm, right right exactly yeah definitely me cool. <laughs> all right yeah that's a pretty pretty comprehensive introduction to what you guys are doing i think it's a it's a fascinating category as like I, you know everybody's been into some kind of building that people think they can hold concerts in especially yeah. and it, it's just like an it's like horrible like here in hong kong the um, asia asia expo out by the airport that, that's where the only building big enough to hold concerts and it's horrible with okay. the, <laughs> the reverb in there it's just it's, yeah 
And so, yeah, like having a consultant come in and hey, here's how to fix it. But like we said previously, having some advanced knowledge on how it's going to behave with, right. with different kinds of events and, and such going on is, is really cool. Um, right. All right, Simon, do you have any more questions? I'm just curious. Um, so the uh, market for this, for your product is actually kind of huge then, isn't it? It's a big one in the industry too, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's quite diverse also. I think that's what excites me a lot, you know, is that actually, I mean, there are so many different use cases where you want to be able to predict how something sounds uh, and use that uh, to optimize your design things further and so on. So I'm I'm quite excited about it, yeah. And, you know, if things go well, then I think there could be a market opportunity there. (laughs) Cool. Fantastic. Thank you very much. All right. So... um, yeah, we'll put the uh, information on your website down in the comments be- or the, the info below. Of course, mm-hmm. if anybody has any questions, we encourage them to shoot their comments, questions, give us, I always say the love and the hate. Tell us what you <laughs> thought we got right. Tell, tell us what you think is wrong about it. And of course, uh, you know, like, con- like, subscribe and share all that good stuff. So Pinner, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was great talking to you. Thanks for the great questions. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.